Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Disruptive Innovation Podcast, the place where we keep you informed about emerging technologies, innovation, and the global trends that are changing the world of business. I am your host, Nikisu Meodza, and with me always, Mike Grandinetti. And we're happy to be here. Uh, really excited about the topic, so let's get into it. Today's episode is all about women entrepreneurs and the ecosystems that are evolving to support these incredibly dynamic and inspirational women. Uh, they are disrupting many industries, making contributions that are stunning and inspirational. We'd like to talk about some of those stories, uh, some brands you've heard of like 23andMe, ClassPass, Girls Who Code, others like Backstage Capital, right? A VC started by a woman who was homeless in San Francisco to close the gap on that 0.2% funding that goes to women of color. Or Zoom Pizza, which uses robots to make pizza, right? Valued at a billion dollars, Mike. That's completely crazy. Uh, or Popcom, a company leveraging blockchain. So many examples we could talk about. Let's get into it, Mike. That's great. And Nikisa, it's a, it's a great follow-up, I think, to our discussion last week. That's right. That will have been published by the time that our listeners, you know, hear this. And so let's set the stage. So, you know, we talked a lot about how critical it is that we bring in people from every part of this country mm -hmm. into the innovation ecosystem, right? Entrepreneurship has always been a remarkably important source of company formation and job growth and economic health. And as we appear to be moving toward a recession with a lot of the extremely tough trade policies and tariffs, and as we continue to engage in what looks like a war for innovation supremacy with China, we need to make sure that every person has the opportunity to innovate. Mm -hmm. Innovation is a numbers game. We never know where the next major breakthrough will come from. And it's important that we engage everybody in that topic. So on that note, Female entrepreneurship. Yep. So like any ecosystem, we need our role models to inspire us. So whether it was Gil Schwed inspiring the country of Israel to mm -hmm. step up and become tech entrepreneurs or Jack Ma of Alibaba. Yep. We're here, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. Um, there are a lot of very powerful women role models that I just want to highlight that I think have really been uh, trailblazers. Absolutely. So maybe one of the more well-known companies, because we seem to all use it all the time, is Eventbrite. Uh -huh. And Eventbrite's one of the few examples of a tech company founded by a woman, Julia Hartz, that actually went through an IPO. And they've been very, very successful. But we talked last week about Julia Hyman mm -hmm. uh, from Rent the Runway. Yep. Um, Ella, Emily Weiss of Glossier. Uh, Ann Wojcicki of 23andMe, the yep. personal DNA company. And then Katrina Lake of Stitch Fix, which we'll talk about later as well. And then on the VC side, there's a number of women that have been very successful, uh, Kirsten Green, mm -hmm. uh, the head of Forerunner Ventures, investor in Glossier that we just mentioned, yep. and Dollar Shave Club. Eileen Lee, the head of Cowboy Ventures out in Silicon Valley. So here we have an Asian-American woman running a major VC fund and, and achieving a tremendous level of success. And then here locally, Jean Hammond. Jean Hammond, one of the elder stateswomen of the Boston Angel community, uh, who was one of the founders of Golden Seeds that we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. Jean was one of the very first female executives to take on a senior level role in a successful tech startup here in Boston at a time that it was just unheard of. So a lot of great role models that are out there that are inspiring women. And what I've seen as a professor over the last 20 years is the number of my female students mm -hmm. signing up and taking entrepreneurship classes or, you know, seeking out mentorship through a lot of the accelerators and incubators where I mentor or advise has grown dramatically. So now more than half of my entrepreneurial students each and every year in the courses I teach are women. Yeah. 
And so it's a very, I think, positive time to be a female entrepreneur. I think there's so much more support than ever before. The sisterhood is out there in force. Yeah. And they're really providing a lot of resources and a lot of just tremendous validation that women have every opportunity to do anything that a man can do just as well as a man can do. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a really important point. I mean, I remember the first time that uh, you know the Meg Whitman when she became CEO of HP, right? Yeah, that was that was one of those, or even uh, Pepsi, right? There's like you think about all these women at the time that they were becoming CEOs of those big companies. Right, that was controversial. Right. It was big news. Right. Uh, and now it's almost like most of the major companies that are really pivoting and thinking about leadership are putting women. In those roles. Oh, yeah. Look at General Motors. Yeah. Both the CEO and the CFO are women. First time in history. So, you know, IBM is led by a woman. Yep. You know, HP has had two female CEOs, Carly Fiorina. Carly Fiorina, yeah. And then Meg Whitman. Yep. So it's 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 absolutely happening out there. And, and I think, you know, well, there's still a lot of room for improvement. There's still a lot of work to be done. I think we need to celebrate what's what's been accomplished because it's really moved very quickly. Oh, yeah. And I, th- I think some of the companies that, that we talked about even just in the intro and, and the ones we're going we're gonna to highlight here, it, it, it proves to me that, and, and you look across the industries that are being disrupted, that are driven by, by women entrepreneurs, it's across the board. I mean, there's, it's not one specific industry. It just shows the breadth and depth that exists. And I'm, I'm excited, you know, about this episode because we're talking about those opportunities and where they exist. You're right. And it's everything from fashion to yeah. biotech, right? Yes. And, and robotics. So it's, it's the whole gamut. So let's let, so, and I want to make it clear, we are only about to scratch the surface <laughs> when you start to really dig in deep and you start to look for inspirational examples. They're everywhere. Yes. We have an abundance of, of examples. So for all of you listeners out there, uh, there's a lot of women who I wish we could have shouted out to, but we're going to just share some highlights to show the diversity. So let's talk about resources because obviously before you build your company, you need support. So, you know, girl boss was focused, was uh, started by a woman named Sophia Amoruso. And this is basically a LinkedIn style network for women by women. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so an opportunity for women to feel a little bit more safe in the way that they network with one another. Um, another one that has grown dramatically is a, another platform called Mogul, which was started by Tiffany Pham. And it started off as a LinkedIn-style pl- uh, platform, but it's grown to something far more comprehensive. So not only does it provide connections, but it provides a lot of productivity tools and scheduling tools and a lot of other tools that you need to run your company. Mm-hmm. 30 w- million women now are on the platform. Wow. And their track record is such that they have helped employ hundreds of thousands of women in innovation-related jobs. So That's very fantastic. Cool. Okay. And then we start to get into more events and, uh, you know, advocacy groups. So Wonder Tech Woman was started by a woman named Lisa May Brunson. Um, and she is someone who has put together a whole range of events and conferences and programs to elevate the underrepresented. And she's launched the Latinx Summit. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Black Women Tech Talk. It's the first conference was a 2019 conference. They had 1,300 attendees participate in this conference they had a hundred thousand dollar pitch competition, and you know they're off and running, and now they're about to do black men tech talk. That's great. So, and then the last one I'll mention, um, which is a really fascinating example, and to a lot of people perhaps a surprise, but some of the our listeners may know the beautiful female supermodel Katie Kloss. Mm-hmm. Katie is the host of Project Runway. 
And it turns out she's got a side hustle that's fascinating. It's called Code with Clossy. Hmm. It's a nonprofit that she has funded. And they are now in 16 cities. And they've given over a thousand young women to date. And they're just getting started. The opportunity to learn how to code completely without cost. That's fantastic. So this is a woman who said, you know, obviously I'm a model. People might look at me as as less than an intellectual. Yes, I love fashion. Yes, I love beauty. But you know what? You know, there's another side of me. And I want to share that other side of me. And although she's humble enough to say she's not an expert in coding, she really does have a lot of passion and enthusiasm for coding and for the opportunities that it represents. So now, you know, there's also a lot of uh, female working spaces, one of which is Wing, and you've mentioned your wife works out of that. So maybe you can share uh, her experiences. Absolutely. And I think the Wing is is one of those places uh, when she first talked about wanting a space where she wanted to work around and be, you know, inspirational women. Uh, the Wing, and I mean, they're, they're global now. Uh, I think they're so big. There's one in Boston here. There's one in D.C., one in New York. And I think they just opened one in London. So my wife, uh, shout out to Chipo. She um, spends a lot of time there because she finds that the space and the environment is fantastic. Uh, there's a lot of uh, talks that, you know, so celebrities will come by or thinkers will come by. And they have these uh, different talks every single, I think it's weekly. Uh, and they bring in guests. It's almost like the 90-second 90, 90 Y type uh, vibe in terms of the speakers that they come in, whether it's an Ariana Huffington or somebody else. It, it really is intended to help uh, women entrepreneurs and anyone who really wants to be around uh, that kind of environment that is supportive. Uh, they do startup competitions, and it's just a fantastic space. And I think it's been really um, uh, inspirational to her just because she's surrounded by people who are very supportive. So if you've got questions or you need help, there's 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 a network and a community that's there to support that. Yeah. Okay, that's great. Yeah, and what I've read about Wing is, is very positive, and apparently they've done a great job of kind of curating the you know, the, the space and everything that they place in that space is it's very, very, yeah. very connected to sort of their purpose and their mission. So this, so I, let me suggest we take a break. And, and I think when we come back, let's talk about some of the emerging and established VC funds yep. that are all about found, uh, you know, funding women founders, and then some of the inspirational startups that, uh, that have been funded. Fantastic. We'll be back. Thank you. This week's topics are brought to you by Rutgers University and its leading disruptive innovation certificate program. At Rutgers, we bring together industry thought leaders and top academic faculty to help you develop your understanding of a range of topics and skills to proficiently navigate the turbulent environment and emerge with a competitive advantage. For more information and to enroll in the leading disruptive innovation program, visit li.rutgers.edu. And we're back. So I wanted to give a shout out to the founders of The Wing. I realized I did not mention them at the beginning, so we got to give credit where credit's due. Uh, Audrey Gelman and Lauren Casson, uh, 6,000 members uh, at the moment and growing, and I think it's their fantastic work. So I wanted to make sure we give credit where credit's due. That's great. All right. So let, let's pick it up again, Mike. I think uh, we, we're going to talk about now uh, transitioning to some of the things that you're seeing. Yeah. So let's talk now about, clearly, if you're going to start a company, you need funding. Yep. So this is a great bridge between the prior session where we talked about resources because it's really, you know, the, the link between resources and VC funding. This is a really interesting um, initiative. It's called H 
B-C-U, mm-hmm. lowercase vc. And it was founded by Hadia Muju. And it's about teaching venture capital to Hispanic and African-American students so that they understand how it works. Mm-hmm. So that one, if they are entrepreneurs in the future, they have a lot more of a well-informed understanding of the system. But it also is to help them think about how they may eventually move into venture capital themselves. So HBCU VC. Now, um, we, we've talked already once on this program about Harlem Capital Partners, and Harlem Capital Partners is about funding the underrepresented, both people of color, but also women. Mm-hmm. And they're looking to fund over a thousand companies. Um, but then let me talk about the elder states woman of female funding. And that is a firm that was founded right here in Boston. It's called Golden Seed Ventures. Okay. Golden Seed Ventures was founded by Gene Hammond, who I mentioned earlier. Jean is, was the first investor into Zipcar. She's on the board of trustees at MIT. She runs Learn Launch, one of the most prominent EdTech ventures, accelerators in the United States. But she also founded Golden Seeds. And Golden Seeds is all about empowering female founders. Mm-hmm. They have founded or they have funded over a thousand startups. Wow. Uh, and they have um, invested over a hundred million dollars in angel capital. So this is women investing in and mentoring women. Now, there are exceptions. They will event every once in a while fund uh, you know, a, a team of men and women, but they're largely about women supporting women through capital and through mentorship. And they've done a great, great job. That's great. Now, there are some newer funds as well, and one of them is called SoGal, a little play on SoCal Ventures. And Elizabeth Sogut and Pocket Sun are the two founders. Mm-hmm. And when they came out in 2016 to say that they wanted to fund female-led ventures, there were a lot of naysayers, a lot of skeptics that said, ain't, ain't enough of them to, to build a company. So they decided they would do a little bit of a, a, a call for a business plan competition. Mm-hmm. And they got 600 applications. Wow. And these are funds, these are women with, you know, ventures that were, had raised less than $3 million dollars. And so as a result of that, they've, you know, they went into the business of funding companies. One of their um, representative companies is a company called EveryWell mm-hmm. that has increased in value by 10x from the time they invested. This past year, they did another call and they went from 600 to 1,500 applications. So very clearly, statistically, we're seeing exactly what I'm seeing, just a tremendous renaissance in female-founded, female-led ventures. Okay, and then um, here in Boston, we have a VC fund uh, that was founded by a woman, which is Radina Ciceri, called Glasswing Ventures. And Glasswing Ventures is focused on transformational AI-based startups. They've raised $112 million in venture capital for their first fund, and they've invested in over 20 companies to date. So a lot of companies that are now being funded are being funded by these female-focused VC funds. That's great. And it actually reminds me of uh, Backstage Capital, which I talked about at the beginning. The 37-year-old Alan Hamilton, you know, she goes out there originally homeless. So the story is absolutely fascinating. Starts of homeless, starts to look at and recognizes um, that any, in terms of funding, you know, less than 2% was going to, 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 to black women founders. And so uh, the story is fascinating. She's been covered by CNBC and a number of news outlets. 
Uh, but just a, a great example of someone saying, you know, let's change this narrative, let's change the dynamic. Uh, and they've they've been pretty successful. I think they've raised so much. Like you know, last year it was like thirty six million in, in in seed funding, uh, and they're investing in fifteen to twenty companies over the next uh, three years, giving them a million dollars. Uh, you know, in, in in investment. So, really trying to push the envelope and really just uh, demonstrating that. Um, you know, number one, if 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 you see the gap, and she saw a gap in the VC space, she jumped in. So the disruption's happening, kind of in in so many different places. I love it. And and the last thing I'll mention on capital is that there's this virtuous cycle that occurs. So that when you are in any ecosystem, mm-hmm. and whether it be a small country or a region, um, as entrepreneurs evolve and cash out they now have a lot of personal capital to mm-hmm. invest. And so you think about the PayPal mafia as probably one of the most well-known. <laughs> That's right. But with with more women being funded, more women will in fact have liquidity events that will allow them to put a lot of money in their bank accounts. Yeah. And you can only imagine that this is just the very beginning of a virtuous cycle of women investing in women. Maybe not through a venture capital fund, but increasingly through their own personal wealth, which is really how Golden Seeds got started. So Golden Seeds was essentially a network of women investing out of their own bank accounts, but it's grown so dramatically, they now have a sidecar fund as well. So, you know, Golden Seeds, the fund, and then Golden Seeds, the network. And I think we're going to see more and more networks of women that have achieved wealth and are going to be willing and able and enthusiastically putting that capital into other female-led ventures. Yeah, and I and I think that um, as we said at the beginning of the of this of the episode, that we're just scratching the surface here. There's so much, so many companies, and so uh, much I think development that's happening across a number of different spaces. I follow blockchain quite a bit, and uh, I, I know that uh, the Popcom story was interesting to me with uh, you know the founder Don Dixon, um, because it was one of those uh, s- scenarios where this was a serial entrepreneur started off. Uh, I think. I think the original idea was called flat out heels or something, a vending machine that um, that you could buy heels at um, when I guess you you know danced and party too too hard the night before or at the club. You go out, you buy your your, your, your heels. But but really the the interesting thing was the pivot there, right? So just the opportunity to take those ideas and she she shares a fascinating story. I think uh, um, Fast Company carried an article that I thought was really interesting, and I've heard her on a couple of interviews. And she talked about the evolution of uh, her thinking and learning and the network she tapped into. So you're absolutely correct. The ability to have uh, people support you uh, and also just the ability to uh, to put your, 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 your ideas out there. So I think, you know, I'd be curious because you're seeing a lot of, of your students and people signing up. If someone was interested in getting started, and obviously we've listed a number of different VCs that women can 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 get into, or different uh, um, competitions that exist, is that the route, or is it just you know, is it friends and family? What 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 are you seeing in terms of the activities for people yeah, to get started? I, I think like anything else, uh, first and foremost, right? There's there's got to be mentors, right? Any first time entrepreneur, mm-hmm. you need an advisory board. You need people that have been there and done that. Whether you decide to do that through your own local network, through your university or business school, or through a lot of these regional or city-based incubators, Mm -hmm. I think you need to bring in outside thinking, outside voices that will both challenge you and inspire you at the same time. Because entrepreneurship is hard. It's an emotional roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons it's great that women have these female 
only or dominantly female organizations. It's, yeah. There's just a much more comfortable, relaxed vibe when you're supporting one another, right? Yeah. There's nobody pretending they want to mentor you for nefarious reasons. Right, right. So I think seeking out mentors, you know, really getting very clear about like any any good entrepreneur, you know, what's the persona you're targeting? What problem they're, you know, you want to solve for them, validating that. And if you don't have a lot of skill in that, right, that's that's a tremendous amount of thought that is required, a lot of skill experience required. Bring people in who can help you. And once you have validated that your idea has merit and that you've gotten to what we'll call product market fit, mm -hmm. now you start to go out and raise real capital. Yeah. And, you know, obviously it's a very different thing if you're raising money for a lifestyle business right? versus right. if you've got massive global ambitions, like some of the companies we'll talk about, like Confluent, for example. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, you're absolutely correct. And I think we, we, we teased on this a little bit, but, um, you know, I, I think it was last week, a uh, big conference called the Grace Hopper uh, Celebration was, uh, I think, held in, in Orlando. Uh, and I had a bunch of friends who are some of them entrepreneurs, and they're pinging me saying, we're going to this conference. And it was exclusively a women's only conference focused mostly on uh, women technologists. But the idea that these conferences uh, and, and certainly the, the audience and the people that are going it's to me, it's just another indication of the need for these types of conferences, right? For people to feel the support and for people to to learn and to to get some of the, I think, uh, education that typically, well, at least historically, right, was mostly mostly geared towards men because the funds were going to to them. So yeah, no question. You know, and as a guy that has mentored literally thousands of startups over the years, right? Mm -hmm. I will say that there's often a special vibe when I mentor all female teams. There just seems to be just a, a different dynamic in terms of the way that they support one another and stand for one another. There's less posturing. There's less, you know, there's less of this uh, individuals trying to sort of take over or dominate a discussion. It's a very, very different vibe. And I think it's a, it's a very healthy vibe when you're talking about starting companies. So listen, I think we're ready for our next break. Yep. And then we come back, we'll, we'll do our last uh, bit, which will be, we're going to talk now about some of these really cool companies. Fantastic. That sounds great. All right, we'll be right back. Okay, this is the part where we talk about you. Yes, you. Midway through each show, we take a break from informing listeners about all the amazing things going on in the world of business and technology to personally deliver your message to our innovation-driven, industry-leading listeners. If you'd like to be a part of the show and become a sponsor of this segment, then reach out to Mike and Nikiso at thisiscool at disruptiveinnovationpodcast.com or thisisdeep at disruptiveinnovation.info. <laughs> Reach out to us and we'll get you on the show. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. So we're back. I think, Mike, we're going to get into some of the startups that we talked about. So let's let's get into some details here. That's great. And, and you know, let me talk about one just because it's well known. It's been very successful, mm -hmm. which I would not consider to be disruptive. But most of the, the focus on, on the startups will be those startups that are truly, you know, working in the advanced technology realm and doing things that are disruptive. But let's talk about yep. ClassPass, right? And for a guy like me who's a road warrior that travels all the time, ClassPass was just a brilliant idea. Great idea. Created by Payal Kadakia, mm -hmm. right? And they're now in 20 countries. They're in 2,500 cities. Um, they now have a new corporate wellness initiative. And as a result of that, they have 22,000 studio partners. They're working with Google. They're working with Facebook. They're working with Morgan Stanley. Yep. They've achieved 100 million reservations. 
and they've raised a quarter of a billion dollars in capital. So again, just a, a simple idea, incredibly well executed and showing no signs of slowing down. So again, there's so many other companies, Credit Carmo is another one we could talk about, many other brand names that people know. And let's be clear, there are thousands of fashion and cosmetics and wellness and other startups that are out there that are doing great work. But I want to focus on more advanced tech. So here's a company some folks probably have heard of, Confluent. Mm -hmm. Confluent was founded by a woman named Nihad Narkej. And this is essentially a central nervous system for company data. So one of their um, claims to fame is that they work with LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And literally there are trillions of events that happen on the LinkedIn platform when you think about all of the posts and all of the messages and all of the articles that wind up getting published and all of the job seeking going on. Yep. So what Niha was working on was this, this open source software system called Apache Kafka. Mm-hmm that was allowing people to process massive data flows. And they've essentially created a professional open source company. Kafka's great. Where they're turbocharging Apache Kafka. Mm -hmm. um, they've raised $125 million in venture capital. They've got 800 employees on the team. They've got a who's who of the Fortune 500 as their customers. And they've got a $2.5 billion valuation. Right? Wow. So this is a real company solving real problems, right? Data is the new oil. You can't manage data. You can't manage your business. So they've got a remarkable who's who installed base of blue chip customers. Um, and uh, this is this is founded by Niha, who is a co-founder and the chief product officer. So she's got a very significant technical and strategy role in the company. Another company is known as Maven. It mm -hmm. was founded by Kate Ryder. And this is in a completely different realm. This is in the digital health world. Okay. And they're providing online access to digital health clinics. They've given over 2 million people access to on-demand healthcare. Okay. Wow. So this is, an, and by the way, the healthcare arena is clearly an arena where a lot of women are operating very effectively, very successfully. And then here's a local success story here called Ginkgo Bioworks. And Ginkgo Bioworks was founded by Reshna Shetty. She's an MIT graduate. She started Ginkgo in 2008. And they are known for cutting edge biology. So they've created synthetic probiotics that reduces people's gastrointestinal problems. Mm -hmm. They've created medicines that allow the body to program its own cells to treat complex diseases more effectively. They recently spun out a different business called Motif Ingredients. And they've created sustainable alternative proteins that actually taste like the real thing. Hmm. So this is a company that's now got a $1.5 billion valuation and over 250 employees on staff, right? So again, three very different companies, deep tech, biotech, digital healthcare. And then just, I'm going to give a shout out to a number of, again, women that have started really technical companies. So mm -hmm. we've got Steph Spears, the CEO and founder of Solstice. And they've created these shared solar gardens. So they're bringing solar power to those who cannot afford them. We've got Daniela Perdomo of Gotenna. She's disrupting the telecom industry by allowing devices to connect without a cell network or an internet connection, which almost seems like magic. Yeah, I love Gotenna. I actually yeah. use it. I have okay. a couple of those products. Cool. We've got Slingshot Aerospace that was funded by Melanie Strickland. 
She spent 20 years in the Air Force, and she's now using satellite data to help uh, real-time response to disasters, natural disasters. And we've got Daphne Kohler from Incitro, who's doing genome editing and machine learning to help develop drug therapies. Wow. And then I'll do a deep dive on one more. So Melanie Wise is the founder of Fetrobotics. Um, and they are all about using robotics to, you know, a, a improve the fulfillment and the inventory management process. So they help organizations do a better job of understanding and managing the inside of their facilities. So she's a mechanical engineer and a PhD. Um, and she's leading this company that based in Silicon Valley called Fetch Robotics since they founded in 2014. They've raised about $100 million. And they've launched a major new client, which is Universal Logistics. And they're using Fetch Design robots to move car parts around the Nissan automotive plant in Smyrna, Tennessee, which is the largest auto factory in North America. So they've deployed several hundred robots in 20 countries, and they're now expanding into Europe as well. Wow. So these are females that have technical pedigrees and technical expertise. Yeah. And are creating disruption, right? The very heart of what we're talking about on this podcast. So it's no longer that women do, you know, fashion. Yeah. Women are capable of playing in the very deep end of the tech pool, just like the guys can. Well, you know, and, and speaking of which, for me, one that's really close to my heart, I'll, I'll add one to your list, which is uh, Michelle Zatlin. She's the founder of Cloudflare. So Cloudflare, uh, for those that, that might not know, it's a, it's a web performance and security company. So they basically protect all the web, uh, you know, all the all the websites we visit and the web traffic. Uh, you know, they're 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 basically used to just be focused on uh, email spam, uh, but they've gone to to focus on all manner of attacks. So um, a couple of times when I go to certain websites, you'll see it says you know powered by Cloudflare. That that's her. That's her company. So started in two thousand nine, and uh, you know uh, funding from everyone from Union Square Ventures to Fidelity, uh, Franklin Templeton. Uh, 332 million raised at the time. So wow. total funded. Yeah. Wow. No, it's a great, great example. And I, one that's uh, really uh, close to my heart anyway. That's great. As a, as a tech geek, I, I love that one. <laughs> that's cool. So let's take a break and we'll come back and we'll do our three things. Fantastic. So we're back. And uh, now this is my favorite part of the show. Uh, three things. So what you got for us this week, Mike? Yeah. So let's first connect directly to the the episode that we just wrapped up. Yep. Let's talk about Stitch Fix. Okay. So Stitch Fix, a very interesting company founded by Katrina Lake. It's gotten a lot of notoriety. It's gone public. This is a company that uses AI and machine learning to help curate fashion choices. Mm -hmm. And you know, a lot of very positive press around this company for a long time. Well, it turns out that their stock is down about 55% on the year and about wow. a third just in the last three months to the point now where its valuation is in line with traditional apparel hmm. makers, even though they are growing at 30% a year and apparel makers are growing at 2% a year. Right. So it, it seems to be a very interesting dynamic that this company somehow has been you know, despite all of the incredible hype around so many of the other companies we've talked about in recent episodes, this company seems to have been put onto the trash bin hmm. uh, for no apparent reason. Now, yes, they are facing increasing competition from Amazon with their Amazon Prime wardrobe yep. and their personal shopper and Nordstrom bought the trunk club. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for those of you who are looking for buying opportunities... Um, Stitch Fix seems to be a very well-managed company managing its advanced technology in a very thoughtful way. 
lots of growth opportunities to service men and children. Um, but for whatever reason, trading well below what most people would consider to be an appropriate valuation for the company. Mm. Okay. Second blockchain, right? And we've talked about blockchain on this podcast before. Yep. And again, just like it took uh, AI and machine learning 70 years to gestate to the plateau of productivity. And yep. just like it's taken um, the internet 50 to 70 years to get to a level of productivity, uh, the well-known industry analyst firm, the Gartner Group, has just come out and said that blockchain is in the notorious trough of disillusionment. <laughs> and what that basically means is that all of the hype leading to all of the experiments, all of the implementations has not really yielded a killer deployment or a killer app. Right. And it's very, very difficult today to get funding for blockchain startups. I know because so many of my students who I warned against jumping into blockchain startups over the last 18 months are now coming to me looking for help for safe landing in other industries. Wow. So, you know, no surprise, but this is going to be a long gestation period. Long way to Very go. early innings. Okay. Yeah. And so the third one, let's talk about China. And I think, you, let me have you start because you, you came upon something very interesting that I'll build on it. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, so but, uh, we, we've all heard of TikTok. I think they were in the news recently. Um, actually, some rumors about acquisition, right? A couple of companies here are looking. I won't say who, but I think anybody can Google it and find it. Um, and uh, yeah, I was looking at an article on Business Insider and they were talking about how TikTok is now using facial recognition in vending machines, right? And a couple of things caught my attention. Uh, one was this idea that uh, you could walk around with, forget digital money. Now you're using facial recognition to pay. I mean, here we're just getting used to the idea of using Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, Google Pay, whatever those systems are, and it's attached to the phone. We talked in previous episodes about China, you know, being a place where you really don't need to carry a wallet. Everything is in the phone. Now they're going to facial recognition. I mean, that that's a it's a bit creepy. Um, you know, there's. I mean, I think it's it's interesting. It's pushing the envelope. But man, and the most interesting thing in the in the article was that uh, um, it it seemed to only be Chinese people, right? If native Chinese who could use the vending machine, uh, the video shows uh, someone who's non-Chinese walking up to it and couldn't buy anything. Right. So that 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 definitely tells you how how deep state that sort of uh, experience must feel like. I guess maybe it's normalized. Right. It could that that's that's where it's going. It's a it's a bit spooky, Mike, I have to say. Yeah. And it's such the timing is incredible because just last night, the U.S. government announced that we are mm -hmm. blacklisting an additional <laughs> eight Chinese companies ostensibly for human rights violations, although who knows? Yeah. And it turns out that the two leading companies on this list are SenseTime, yep. the most highly valued AI company on the planet, and Megvi, a company we've we've talked about both yep. of these, yep. that was the first Chinese company to announce its intentions to go public. And both of these are the providers of this very same technology mm -hmm. uh, for the surveillance economy in China. Um, and along with six others, and adding now to the list of the notorious Huawei, we've now got Chinese companies, nine of them, that have been blacklisted, meaning they cannot acquire any U.S. product services or technology. So the 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 schism between our two countries grows by the day. Yeah. And then the last piece that just builds on this is for those people who may not pay attention to professional sports, we've talked about the National Basketball Association. The mm -hmm. National Basketball Association was named by Fast Company magazine the third most innovative company in the world. 
And it's because they are very deeply embracing a whole range of technologies. In fact, they were one of the very first sports leagues to embrace TikTok. Yep. And they're one of the very first to embrace Twitch. And they're showing a lot of their games on Twitch. Yep. So it turns out that, you know, with all of the tensions in Hong Kong, right, 16 weeks now into this incredibly escalating series of protests that have grown quite violent, mm-hmm. um, Daryl Morey, probably one of the most respected general managers in the entire NBA, a guy that really was responsible for bringing Moneyball into the NBA mm-hmm. and who hosts an annual sports tech conference at MIT for years, which was a very hard to get into event. Hmm. Obama actually came and spoke at this event a couple of years ago. Fantastic. So Morey voiced his own opinion. And he said he stands in solidarity with the protesters in Hong Kong. And boy, that did not go over well at all. Yeah. So can you imagine? Instantaneous response from China um, to the point now where they are asking for an apology. And what I respect so much about Adam Silver, he is the anti Roger Goodell. Okay. The entire league culture is very progressive. Mm-hmm. And he wants his athletes to be more than just players. He wants them to be fully formed human beings. He embraces their expressions of, you know, support. Very, very refreshing. Yeah. Whatever LeBron, right. LeBron's doing God's work in LA and in Cleveland, for example. And so many of these players have taken a stand for injustice and social rights Mm -hmm. and all of these things. So he's refused to back down. And the Chinese are adamant that until they do, until we do, you know, business is no longer going to be as usual. Now, we've seen incredible examples of Gucci and Prada and a lot of others make these really stupid cultural mistakes that have offended the Chinese people. And within seconds, these company spokespeople have gotten on their knees and begged for <laughs> forgiveness, right? For obvious reasons. Yeah. And so we're now seeing this remarkable heroic stand being taken by the NBA to say, I will not in any way censor or um, punish. Daryl Morey or anybody in the league for speaking their mind. And the Chinese have already canceled the the hosting of um, preseason basketball games because the NBA season is coming soon. Right. And it'll be very interesting to see what happens because the Chinese love NBA basketball. They do. And it's, they a, do. it's a very important market for the National Basketball Association, and they've taken it by storm. It's a billion-dollar market. It's at least yeah. growing rapidly, right? And if you look at, uh, you know, photos of uh, fans in the stands, everyone's got their NBA jersey on at a game. Yep. They're selling a ton of merchandise. So, you know, these, these two economies are getting further apart, um, and it appears to be just this extraordinary culture war. And, you know, I reached out to a couple of my students, and I said, so what's your opinion on this? And the message was just, unfortunately— Americans just don't understand the Chinese psyche and, and, you know, how damaging something like this can be. And clearly we don't. Right. We don't understand when we say that we support pro-democracy in Hong Kong, how negatively it will be perceived on the mainland. Yeah. At least officially. That doesn't mean that individuals don't hold other feelings in their hearts. That's right. That's so right. it's, it's a, you know, this, this thing is just getting clearly more and more far apart by the day. On that note, uh, we'll call it a wrap. This has been a great episode. Uh, Hopefully everyone at home has loved it. Uh, We are looking forward to being back here next week. Sounds great, Nikki. So always look forward to it. Fantastic. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you soon. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon. Visit www.patreon.com slash disruptive innovation. Our podcast is recorded at Cybersound Studios in Boston, and your support will go to helping us pay for studio time. 
Also, give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. We love hearing from you and appreciate the feedback. Thank you and keep listening.